Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. A pioneer in sports radio and sports journalism, tough as nails, and even an earthquake couldn't stop her. I'm honored to host the longtime radio voice of the New York Yankees, Susan Waldman, on the inaugural episode of my Power Players podcast. Susan, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. The first. That's another first that goes onto my resume. <laughs> so, Susan, you know, before we even get to today and everything, I wanted to talk a little bit of how you started in the beginnings of it, because, I mean, you started in a time where women were not really around sports, like at all. And we've seen the articles where you've said, and I couldn't believe this, that you used to get toilet paper soiled with feces in the mail. Mm-hmm. George Bell screamed at you in not one but two languages to leave the clubhouse because you were a woman. And you said, and this almost knocked me off my chair, people were trying to kill me? Um, yeah, well, that, that covers a lot of it, and that covers a few years. I, I think what you have to understand is that um, when, when WFAN was just a, an idea in somebody's head, I got a call from one of my best friends uh, who was the late Ken Coleman, and he was the, uh, the voice of the Boston Red Sox a long time, and we were really, really close friends. And my background, obviously, was in theater, and I was looking to change careers, and um, I was always around sports, and I always talked sports, and I always wrote, but it was kind of like an avocation, obviously, because there weren't any women around, and I never thought of it. And how I got into it and why I started to think about that was mainly because the Broadway that I came to New York to do, the musicals, they were gone. They weren't coming back. And I had to figure out something else to do with my life. So I thought, well, what's the only other thing I know? And that's sports. Um, he got me an interview with a, a man named John Shannon, the late John Shannon. He was going to be the, the GM of this new thing, FAN, WFAN. They were going to start the first all-sports station. And they needed a woman, actually, is what um, they wanted to do, and I made a tape, a phony sports cast, and I brought it into him. And I was originally hired to do updates for a man named Pete Franklin, who was supposed to do Afternoon Drive. And they thought, because I could talk and I was funny and that it would be great, Pete Franklin, though, got sick and couldn't do that. But I was the very first voice on, on WFAN. And the first day when I was doing that, one of the owners of the station, and there was a big commotion when FAN went on the air, and I was the very first voice that ever came out. And within two updates, I hear the owner, one of the owners of the radio station, saying, get that smart-ass broad with the Boston accent off of my air on primetime. And the guy who was hosting with me just said, just keep going, just keep going. <laughs> I was not a good update person. That is not what I wanted to do, but I, but I had to do that. WFAN, in their infinite wisdom, because I had a I had a no-cut contract, so they moved me to the overnight with a wonderful man named Steve Summers, and they moved me to the overnight, and they thought I'd quit. And I didn't. While I was an overnight, it was really great because it was a different kind of audience. And I did four, we did four full updates back then. And, and I learned a lot. And Steve Summers taught me how to do sound on tape and taught me how to make cuts and all that things. And I literally cut tape and learned how to do everything. And I went to the program director then and 
what I had noticed was that what we did back then on WFAN was get newspaper guys to talk about the games on the next morning, and they would never give us stories. So all you got was what you were going to read in the newspaper. So I went to the program director, and I said, you know, why don't you let me take a tape recorder and go to games like a beat reporter? And so I was literally the first electronic beat reporter that, that ever happened. I made it up. And they said, all right, well, but I'm not paying for this. You do, you have to do your overnights. And I um, went everywhere. I went all over the place, wherever I could go in my car. I did all three hockey teams, and I did Yankee games, and I did some Met games, and I did Knicks games, and that's a whole lot of thing. But the more I was on the air, the more it was really terrible. I did get feces in the mail. I got horrible letters. And the worst thing, actually, Danielle, was that the station, the people at the station, like I was making mistakes, um, guys used to doctor my tapes and then put them in emails and send them to the powers that be to try and get me fired, see how, how many mistakes she's making. Um, the, the George Bell thing, that's a chapter in a children's book. That happened in um, 1987. And they're really long stories, and all mm-hmm. of them are true. And the death threats, I had my own police detail at Yankee Stadium all of 1989 because someone was literally trying to kill me and I never knew who was with me but Mr. Steinbrenner made sure that I had uh, somebody with me all the time and I never knew who was there but someone was always with me from the time I hit the player's parking lot till the time I left and if when I came out my car was started that meant that somebody had phoned in another bomb threat to the stadium. You know this was all very real so this is my doing that but the worst part I think was the treatment I got from my colleagues, quote-unquote, and uh, the people at the station. The, the, the problems I had with certain players, that's all very dramatic, but that was not the worst of it. You could handle players. but It just got very, very public. So the relationship of colleagues was worse than a bomb threat of a, of a baseball Well, I, I'm not going to say that. Someone was literally trying to kill me. But I sat in the press box at Yankee Stadium for a solid year, and nobody talked to me. The other radio reporters thought that I was taking a job away from a real reporter, meaning male, and, um, you know, and the treatment was, was not great. But, you know, and then you meet, you do meet people that, that help you along the way, and there were certain people who did, and, yeah, one of them happened to own the team, so that, that helps a lot. You spoke to nobody for a whole year. Like, how does that, how does that make you feel? It was fine. I mean, I, it was not nice, and I, you know, cried a lot, and, but it, it you know, you don't go into this business if you're female, if you want to um, be part of a community, because as far as I'm concerned, you're never part of it. Um, mm-hmm. You can be tolerated, never accepted fully, I think. I don't think it's changed all that much. I mean, there's more women, but they're still in little boxes and still um, doing jobs that people think you should instead of doing what you really want to do. But, you know, that's a you, you do what you do. It's a very long time ago, and I'm, I'm past the point now of <laughs> really worrying what happened to me 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, but just, I mean, even some of that stuff does happen still today. Like, after that whole one year where they didn't talk to you, like, what changed? At, you know, what made them say, like, okay, or, you know, tolerate you, not accept you? Well, because I was there. And I think what happens is that, is that you know, you're there. I'm like part of the furniture now. Mm-hmm. And I was just always part of it. I never missed a story. I never missed a, I mi- I never missed a scoop ever. Um, a lot of it was you just keep doing your job, and eventually 
people will at least you know recognize that you're you're not <laughs> you're not uh, out of place. Um, you know, you you get help in in different ways. There are people that you know, watch you like like always. You watch people and you see what they do. You see what kind of questions they ask. You see who defends you. I had. Um, you know, Dallas Green was a big supporter of mine way back. I had all kinds of people who actually helped, and then eventually people get used to and figure out you're not going anyplace. So, you know, it, it, things things change after that. Having the owner of the Yankees on your side, but I read an article that said that he still exclu- excluded you from the the Christmas luncheon. And no, he- no, see, but that see, <laughs> yeah, but that was how, that was how we actually became friends. Because this was way back, and uh, George always had a, a Christmas luncheon, and this is you know, way back, my first maybe second year uh, on the beat, and people were not quite sure what I was doing because it was electronic, it was radio, and I was the only one that was really doing it. And you know, I'd gotten followed George around because George was a big presence at the stadium, and I and you used to not be able to get in the elevator when George was there, and I'd run down the corridors after he was in the clubhouse, and I'd say, Mr. Steinbrenner, Mr. Steinbrenner. And he'd get in the the elevator, and he'd close the door, and you couldn't get in with him. That was the rule. You had he had you could not get in the elevator if he was in there by himself. Mm. So I would run up the ramps to try and meet him at his <laughs> office, and if I beat him to his office from the elevator, then he would talk to me. Um, that winter. He did have this luncheon, and it was at 21, and all the guys were invited, and I wasn't invited. And I called the PR guy, and he said, well, no, you, you know, it's, it's just guys, and you're not really a beat writer. And I said, well, I'm not a beat writer, but I'm a beat person. And they were going to 21, and I love 21. And so I wrote him a letter. And I asked the sales director at WFAN at the time, I said, tell me how many people listen to me at 5.05, my Yankee report, and tell me how much it sells for. So he got me the numbers, and I wrote in this letter, um, Dear Mr. Steinbrenner, uh, this is why I am important, and this is why you should talk to me when I ask to be included in things. And I wrote down the numbers, and it turned out that more people listened to me on my Yankee report at 5.05 than read every newspaper in the tri-state area. And I said, I will be down in Tampa, such and such a date, and I expect an interview, the one that I should have gotten when you took everybody to 21. So I did go down to Tampa, and I was going to a spa. I didn't tell them why. <laughs> but I got a, 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 the telephone was blinking when I got into the hotel, and, it's, and a secretary called, and she said, Mr. Steinbrenner, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And by the way, I have Xeroxed a copy of your letter, and I've given it to every woman in this building. And he'll see you at 9 o'clock. And I walked into the office, and he said, uh, okay, now, I want to tell you something, Waldman. He always called me Waldman for years. He said, uh, I don't like women policemen, and I don't like women firemen. I don't like women in sports. I like women to look pretty and spend my money. And I said, okay, I can do that. And now, let me talk to you about this pitching staff that we don't have coming into 1989. And he started laughing. And that's how we became friends. He was really hard on me because he wanted me to succeed because he had something in mind. And about a year later, he said to me, one of these days, Waldman, I am going to do uh, show the world something about women in sports. You're it, and I hope you can take it. Now, this was before the death threat, so I didn't know what he meant at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, George was um, amazing. George was one of those people that wanted to break barriers, wanted to move things along, uh, wanted to make an impression. He wanted to do things that nobody else had done. 
and he tested me a lot, and he, um, I was on the other end of those angry phone calls many times. But uh, George was fantastic, and he's one of the most important people in my life. Susan, I have a question, or we have a question from uh, a listener. I'm going to play that for you right now. Hi, Susan. This is Dorian from Little Rock. You endured horrendous abuse when you were first getting your career started, and I was wondering what from that experience you could draw upon and what advice you would give to journalists dealing with the contentious social media environment that we often find ourselves in. Okay. Um, well, the social media thing is a whole thing that I that I didn't have to deal with, and um, I was kidding with another uh, reporter that I know. I said, do you think that our abuse, which was really there and physical and you mm-hmm. could feel it and you could see it, is it worse than the cyber abuse that everybody, everybody gets? Um, I've always thought that um, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, do I have something to give that no one else is giving? Do I have something to contribute? If that answer is honestly yes, then don't let anything stop you. Are you going into this business to have friends? Are you going into this business because you have something to contribute? Those are very different things. And, um, and maybe it's different now. I'll tell you what is different now um, is that there is a network of women that you can draw upon. I never had that. In, uh, when I started in this business, and most of the people my age will tell you, if you saw another woman walk into your office, one of you was not going to be there. In the sports world, you can have a radio station, television station. You can have the comic. You can have the play-by-play guy. You can have the, you know, the, the gruff guy. There's thousands of men, and there's always the woman. And we're not the same. So you, if you saw another woman walk into the station, one of you was not going to have a job at some point. That's changed now, and... You know, you have to now draw on that strength from, from women, and that's something that I had never had. But you have to draw on your, on your own strength. If you think you have something to give to this world in this business, then do it and be able to say, the heck with it. The heck with everybody. I don't have to go to dinner with these guys. I don't have to have friend, friends. I'm doing something important. So you know yourself whether you can do this or not. You know, I came across something today, and it... it kind of surprised me. And it's a statistical analysis of gender and racial hiring in every major sports league. It's called the Tides Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport. And what it does, it calculates or assigns an annual grade for each league. And it evaluates, you know, careers at every level on the team side of it. So mental skills coaches to owners and pretty much everywhere in between. It does not include media. I looked at the MLB's gender average grade, average grade, 2019, they got a C. 2018, okay. they got a C. And the rest of the files on the website, dating back to 2011, they were just, just corrupted files. So what I'm trying to say is this has shown between 2018 and 19, just most recently, zero growth in female hires from a club or team standpoint. Why is well, that? Well, I, I, I sort of agree with that, and then I don't. And because you have to look at who's coming up. I, I, you, you go to uh, places. I know MLB Network has been looking for... Um, female researchers, they're not necessarily out there. And I, I don't think a lot of this is fair. I mean, I look in the booth, and there's still just me. There's still just me in the booth um, doing every day. I'm the only one. It's been a really long time. However, there are, I can name four or five young women off the top of my head, and I know there's more, that are doing play-by-play on teams, A-ball teams, everywhere. It takes a long time to change. You also... 
you also have to people have to have people that are qualified or want to do the work. One of the things that bothers me is that everybody, and this is male too, except there's just more of them, so you know you're more likely to get get hired. Um, everybody comes out of college or out of an idea communications class, and they think they should run right into on the air or in behind a camera. It doesn't work like that, and I think a lot of people don't want to pay. Um, dues, and I think those those polls are a little misleading because I know baseball is trying. If people are you, you also have to be qualified, and you also have to want to work. I'm not saying there aren't women that that want to do this, but I think putting it and saying, well, they didn't hire they didn't hire anybody. Who was qualified? Is it really they weren't hired because they were women? I don't think so. I don't think so. There might be some cases, but there's always more to that than just stats. Now, the MLB, NFL, NBA, the top three, the big three, mm-hmm. baseball still earned that worst grade there. Now, okay. what sort of pipeline or idea, maybe, would you propose to, to get those qualified candidates? Well, you have to, because you have to work at it. You can't, the, the difference, I think, between baseball and other sports, you can't come late to baseball. You really have to, I really believe this, I really believe that you have to grow up, not just loving it, but but knowing it and understanding it. And if you don't understand the way baseball has, why baseball has, um, why people have an affinity to baseball, um, no other sport has that connection to families and to heart. It's not, you just can't learn it. It's not, you know, Red Auerbach and what the Boston Celtics used to say, there are 48 variations on eight plays in base, in basketball. That's very different than than baseball. Um, the, the, also, the other sports are different. I never had a moment's discomfort in an NBA locker room, not once. And there's a story in there. I mean, I'm sure there is. Women and, and who is uh, playing basketball at the time, they all went to college. They all sat there with women. It was a whole other thing. Um, I never had a moment's problem ever in the NHL, ever. Baseball is like the last vestige. Football can be a problem, but not so much anymore. Um, but baseball can kind of be a problem because it's a different, it's a different group. There's more of them. Um, the coverage is much different. It's every day. And there are all kinds of things that, that go into that. It, it's tough to just take stats and say, well, and the NBA does that and, and MLB doesn't. I know that MLB is really trying. They have all these things. They have all these diversity classes, and they have all these things at uh, the winter meetings to get your resume out there and to work. I would like it. I would like someone to tell me if they went through internship programs and worked hard and learned how to scout and learned what that was and still didn't really get a job. I know there are probably people out there. Kim Ang is one. Should she be a GM? Maybe. Um, she certainly worked at it, assistant GM to Brian Cashman, a long time. But there are qualified people, and there are people that could be qualified if they worked at it. And there's a little distinction there. From a media perspective, I mean, you travel with the Yankees day in, day out for basically mm-hmm. 10 months. If you look around left and right, estimate maybe how many other women do you see doing this every single day across the country? Doing what I do, nobody. But 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 you mean there's there's every uh, team television has a um, a woman who is sideline reporter, everybody. Um, so all those teams have those women still doing you know play by play in the booth every day. There's just me, I'm the only one. 
and Jessica Mendoza does once a week, or did, I'm not quite sure what she's doing now, but um, there's, there's just me. But also remember, it's too easy to just blame it on lack of diversity for MLB. Those jobs are very valuable. How do you compare someone who has spent 15 years in the minor leagues, and he's male, and has worked his way up, and you wait for the, there are very few of these jobs. You have to wait for somebody to retire or somebody to do something stupid so they get fired. Mm. Um, it's not that people don't want to hire women. I really don't think that. And in my case, I don't see any women looking for my job. I see people that come up to me and say, boy, I could do what you do. Oh, yeah? Okay. I'm fairly new to this, this whole sports media thing. Something I struggle with on my show is championing the play of domestic violence offenders. Like, for example, the two ultra-talented New York Yankees, Domingo Herman, who's currently suspended, and Aroldis Chapman, who served a suspension in the past. Right. How, do I, how do I navigate that? Um, I don't know that they're celebrating it. They certainly didn't cover it up. He certainly did his suspension. He certainly did... Um, what he needed to do, and I'm not making excuses. I think it's horrible. They're not somebody that, um, it, it's not somebody necessarily or any of them that I go to dinner with. But um, I don't, I'm not sure that if you're in this media, you can take it that personally. Mm. I think we all saw what went on there, and um, I think when you're, and nobody is championing it, nobody, but do you get to change your life? Do you get to try and change your life? I mean, I don't know what happened with Domingo Herman's thing. Um, Aroldis Chapman denies what a lot of people did, and there was no police report. And trust me, I am not. I am not saying that what he did is okay at all. But you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure how to answer that because it's it's not something that um, now there is a difference between Chapman and Domingo Herman and the guy in Houston because everybody saw those pictures right. Osuna. But that's a, a whole different thing. I don't know that you need to champion it or anything. If you're in this media and your job is to talk about a team, he's part of the team. I mean, of course, you have a choice. Right. You know, you want to talk about Araldus Chapman, that's fine. You know, I talk about what he does on the field, and that's that. You know, it's not, you know, he, he's not a guest on my show. I mean, if on my pregame, you know, he's not... It's, it, it, you, you, I think you have to separate unless what you want to do. do what do you want to do with this business? That's the whole thing. Who do you want to be? And if what you want to do is champion domestic violence, try and try and change it, go ahead. But you have to decide what you are. Nobody's telling you to champion these people. Right. You're not supposed to. That's not your job. It's almost like separate the player from the person in a way. Just talk about them as players. Well, but you can unless you unless you don't want to. I find it very interesting. I find it much more interesting to talk about who they are, because I'm there every day, right. and, and it's, it's all connected. It's absolutely all connected. But if I'm talking about a role as Chapman, how long do you go on with this? You know, he's, you know she's still there. They've still got kids. Mm -hmm. Even today, February 2020, to use your words, do you still feel tolerated but not accepted? Yeah, absolutely. But that's me. I don't, think, right. I, I don't think younger women feel that. But I do, because to me it's five minutes ago since... Um, somebody spit in my face. It's five minutes ago when I got those things. I can't walk into a, a parking lot any place or walk through a crowd in any part of Yankee Stadium without feeling a little fear. But that's just me. I don't know that uh, I, I don't think I don't know that other women feel that way. I do I do know that there are women that are doing free and post game that you know would like to try play by play and every now and then are given the shot. But that's maybe that's what keeps me motivated.
is that I have that drive. I'm a very driven person. And maybe if I were satisfied that, oh, yeah, I've got everything that I've done, everything I can do in this business, maybe I just, you know, leave it. Because I always think if you're not going forward, you're going backwards and somebody's going to catch you. So, I, but I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm accepted the way the guys are. I just don't. After all that, all those things, all those terrible things, why didn't you just pack it in, head back to Broadway? Oh, I left Broadway because I wasn't. <laughs> it's not that easy. It's not that easy. I, had, I was getting older. I wasn't going to be the person I, um, I wanted to be when I came here. I always worked in theater. I just was never a star. I always worked. I just wasn't famous. Um, and you know what was I going to do? I needed this job. And by the way, I don't. I, I don't quit. I don't like people telling me no, if unless there's a reason. You know, in theater, you don't get the part. You're too. You know, you're too fat. You're too old. You're too, I understand that, mm-hmm. but I don't understand. You can't tell me about Don Mattingly because you're female. That I don't understand. Quite frankly, to this day, there's not an 18 year old intern anywhere that doesn't think he knows more about the Yankees than I do. He doesn't, but they all do. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. But it's not, quitting is not an option for me, <laughs> ever. It just isn't. I mean, besides, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to make money? What am I going to do? Right. Now, despite all that, many other things, you're the first women to call a World Series game on the radio. Mm-hmm. You're the first voice heard on the first all-sports radio station in the country, and you've got your own microphone in Cooperstown. Was it all worth it? Well, I'm not done, Danielle. <laughs> I don't know right. whether things are worth it or not. I'm not ready to write an end of this chapter yet. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to do. Is it worth it? Um, was it? Was this worth it to this to this um, to this point? Oh yeah, I make a di- I think I make a difference in people's lives. And every time I open um, my mouth, there's some little girl out there that knows that is never going to know that she can't do this because I was there. And people have told me that, and I think it's important that, you know, you're there. I mean, I've known, you know, generations of, of young girls have sent me things, and there, a lot of them are out there. And I've done, I just was at a, a, a college a couple of weeks ago that I, I talked to 800 people, and most of them little girls and, grow, and teens and all that, and to see, you know, grown-ups, girls in their 20s, or are teenagers saying they've listened to me since, um, I was a little girl and all that. They're never going to know that they can't do this because they heard a woman's voice growing up. And that's, that's something that's, that's really important. It really is. I never heard a woman. Why would I ever think I would be on radio or television talking about anybody? I never saw women there. So hopefully that's changed, and hopefully that's an important part of this. So we've got one more listener question, and this one comes from Rachel. Hey ladies, my name is Rachel Hopmeyer. I'm based in Washington, D.C. So excited to be chatting with you guys. Congrats, Danielle, on an incredible start to the podcast. My question for Susan is, we spend our lives analyzing highlight reels in the lives of others and the way they play the game. What is your proudest moment on your highlight when you're envisioning that reel? Thanks so much. Oh, boy. Um, Okay, I think the first one would be the earthquake in 1989. For some reason, (laughs) my phone line did not go out when the earthquake hit, and I was sitting next to a guy from Chicago who says he still has nails, you know, marks in his arm. Um, I was on the air when the earthquake hit, and that earthquake (laughs) made my career. Um, It was the first time that I was taken seriously. 
I actually won an international radio award for that, and I was on for days. A lot of the guys went home. I did Cityside. I was on the air um, from Candlestick Park for a long time, all by myself. <laughs> I described everything. I got back somehow to the city and did Cityside News for a few days, and it was really something. And, and guys from New York started to take me seriously after that earthquake because a lot of guys went home. I didn't. And that's that's number one. I think number two would probably be um, all of 1996 when the Yankees won that World Series. That also standing next to George when the, the ball went into Charlie Hayes' uh, glove. Mm -hmm. And that for me would be number two because that was also the year that I was fighting breast cancer. So as Jimmy Key said to me, you know, you're part of this too. So they won and, and, uh, I was winning at the same time. That would be two. I think obviously the World Series, being the first woman ever to do a World Series on the radio, might be number three. But there is, there are so many. There's, um, there are so many. It's not analyzing the lives of others. This is my life, and this is what I do. And it's not analyzing other people's work, because my work is to bring that to somebody else. So that's my work, too. It's not just theirs. Susan, I know you're not done yet. So what's, <laughs> what's still left to check off the Susan Waldman list of accomplishments? I have no idea, because I never pictured any of this. Mm -hmm. And that's what, I mean, I've never been afraid of being in, you know, in, in limbo. I've never been afraid of that. There's always something. It's a, it's a big world out there, and I'm not quite sure what, what shape it'll take. I'm not ready to leave this behind, obviously. You know, I'm not done growing either as a broadcaster. You know, this is something, um, you know, I'm not Vince Scully. I understand that. But you can get better every single time. And the great thing about being an announcer and, um, is that the game is different every day. Every inning is different, and even if it looks like, oh, how can you do another game of this, you're different. The world is different. The people sitting in row seven are different. Mm -hmm. So y you keep living, and through life, all your calls are different. So I'm not anywhere done doing that and getting better and bringing that to people. But where this goes from here, um, I don't know. We'll have to just stay tuned and find out, I guess. Susan, thank you so much for your long list of firsts, but you are my first <laughs> guest on Power Players, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time. And good luck with that. It'll be great. Thank you. I might be the only person in captivity that doesn't have a podcast. <laughs> so I'm glad I could be on yours. You're welcome on mine anytime, Susan. Thank you. Okay, Danielle. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 